Hello and welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 1, Episode 20. I'm Bethany, your host, and today I'm joined by authors Vanessa Riley and Adriana Herrera to discuss writing diverse historical romance, which is very exciting. If you want to support the podcast and get early access to episodes and exciting bonus content from our guests, check out our Patreon linked in the show notes. And a big thank you to all of our patrons with a special shout out to our world-expanding patron, Trina. Your support makes this possible. Before our conversation today, it's time for On My Radar, where I'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance that I'm excited about, and then our guests will have the opportunity to share something as well. The books for today's episode will be released between June 23rd and July 6th, 2021, with the exception of guest recommendations which may include any upcoming release. Um, first up, June 29th, I've got a couple of books to mention. This Poison Heart by Kaylin Barron is a contemporary YA fantasy about a girl with plant magic who inherits a mysterious estate in rural New York from her birth family, one with a poison garden. I'm reading this one right now, and so far it's very interesting, very intriguing. And then we also have The Return of the Sorceress by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, which is a novella about a sorceress who has gained and then lost great power and is now plotting to claw her way back. This is another one that's great. I always love her books. Um, I'm not going to talk about it here. I'll save it but for Adriana to talk about, but she also has a book coming out on the 29th, One Week to Claim It All, which is great. So you'll hear about that. And then July 6th, there's two releases. First up, Rise to the Sun by Leah Johnson is a friends to lovers YA romance about two girls attending a music festival and recognizing their feelings for each other. Lastly, an adult contemporary romance out of character by Annabeth Albert is a friends to enemies to friends to lovers. <laughs> is a lot following two gamers and it's recommended for fans of red white and royal blue and the pros of cons so go check all of those out as always all of the books will be listed in the show notes but today i'm so pleased to be joined by vanessa and adriana to talk about historical romance thank you guys for coming on to the show well, thank you for having us Thank you for having us. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. I'm going to let you each introduce yourselves to our listeners. Um, if you want to kind of introduce yourself, your background, let them know about any books you have coming out, and also share an upcoming release you think they should have on their radar. I'm Adriana Herrera. I am a romance author, and I write um, books with people that look and sound like my people getting apologetic, unapologetic <laughs> happy endings. So, um Afro-Caribbean, I'm from the Dominican Republic originally, and so a lot of my stories, a lot of the things that I focus on are um, centering Afro-Latinx characters, the immigrant experience, and I have now kind of dove into historical romance, which is what I originally began reading when I first start, when I first discovered romance was kind of what like brought me to romance and kept me there. And I've mm -hmm. always wanted to see more diversity in historical romance because it's really kind of like the the subgenre of romance that I've loved the most, but I had never really seen myself represented in any of the stories that I was reading all through these decades that I've been a romance reader. So I'm very happy that I'm getting to do that. Yeah. Now. I'm excited you're writing a historical. <laughs> yes. Okay. And, and I'm Vanessa Riley. I write historical fiction and historical romance. And like Adriana, you know, I've always loved romance, but it's very rare to see someone that looks like us in historical romances, unless we're the best friend, unless we're a servant and or slave in some of these books. Um, so it's been a passion of mine to kind of correct the history a bit 
because my foray into this, which is both Georgian Regency romances, it was more diverse than than what meets the eye or what we see on the bookshelves. And I love showing that love wins no matter how adverse the circumstance is. Love wins. People rise to their better angels. Strong sisterhoods are, are always focused in my books because we do life together. And that's how I believe people were able to change the world by coming together and focusing on what's extremely important. So I love love stories. I, I love empowering. And I love letting the world of these beautiful historicals seem more like what it really was like in the terms of the amount of people of color working, playing, and falling in love. I love it. Yeah. So both of you have books that have either recently come out or about to come out. I would love to hear you kind of let people know what do you have? What should they be looking for? And are there any other books that you think are really great that people should keep an eye out for? My, my most recent release um, came out at the end of last year, and it was a anthology where it's a historical anthology, and I have a story called The Duke Makes Me Feel, and it's set in London and Paris in 1879. It's about a Dominican-British root worker who helps a unlikely duke find his long-lost sister. So that's my the release that I had that came out the most recently, and then I have One Week to Claim It All, which is my debut in Harlequin Desire. It's a contemporary, and it's all set around Sombrano Studios. The Sombrano family is a Dominican family that owns like a telenovela empire. So the first book is for the oldest daughter of that family who inherits the CEO position from when her dad passes away, and she has to compete for it with her ex who was her dad's protege. So there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of drama, a lot of plot twists, honoring my love for telenovelas. Upcoming, I have two things. I'm doing, I'm teaming up with the same ladies where we did the first anthology, Duke, I'd like to F. We're doing Rake, I'd like to F. <laughs> and um, I have a story called Monsieur X, and I'm calling it John Singer Sargent AU. I'm really fascinated. John Singer Sargent is my favorite portrait artist, and I'm really fascinated by his life. People like now are pretty certain he was he was a gay, he was a gay man he was queer so I have a an MM story with uh, a John Singer Sargent who is a biracial a John Singer Sargent like character who is a biracial man and he meets the third son of an earl who is also biracial and it's set in 1888 in Paris and then I have my my first book of the Leona series which is coming out next summer and it's set in 1889 in in the universal exposition in paris and so that was like a time a period where about 40 countries came to paris to exhibit their culture and their countries and 14 latin countries were part of the exposition and dominican republic was one of them so that's where i am setting that series oh cool exciting yeah that sounds those are going to be really exciting because yeah. the, that once again those there haven't been done mm -hmm. particularly focusing on late late victorian migration yeah. of, from the caribbean the west indies you don't see that so it's very exciting adriana to hear these 
books and to see them come into fruition. Yeah, I'm just really, one of the things that I'm really interested in, I think that's something that you also do, Vanessa, is like really finding like, it's like liminal spaces, like these moments in time where something like really exciting was happening in the world. And it's like documented that people of color were there and like in the mix, there was like joyful things happening. Like the World's Fair is always one of these events that are full of food and people are coming from everywhere. And there's like a lot of art and music and just knowing we were there and all these other countries were there. Haiti was there, Colombia, Venezuela, like just like other people get to do, I could just kind of just like fall into that setting and like build this story around these three women who are all heiresses having like the best summer ever like everyone else got to do that summer in Paris. 32 million people, the Eiffel Tower was up and lit up and the Latins were there. No, it's it. that's going to be exciting. And and I say always, you come for the romance, but you leave a little wiser, yeah. a little bit more education yeah. about how the world really worked. Yeah. For me, last year I released A Duke, The Lady and the Baby. Mm-hmm. The response was phenomenal. And this year, the sequel came out in April, and Earl, the Girl and a Toddler. Once again, the Rogues and Remarkable series focuses on the Widow's Grace. The Widow's Grace is a secret society of women that is destined to protect women, particularly widows who have fallen on hard times during uh, the Regency era, which is, you know, circa 1800. Eight, well, clinically, it's 1811 to 1820, the actual second regency for King George. But, you know, we regency writers kind of extend it out. So it can extend all the way to from, from about 1780-ish to 1830s. But I digress. Uh, the, during this particular time frame, widows were subject to their late husband's family. Their dower, which actually comes from their dowry, is the money they're supposed to live on. Well, if your late husband's family didn't like you, didn't like you because you were mixed race or because you were blackamoor or just of some reason, they could withhold your dower or make it extremely difficult for you to collect. Some could even take your children away. So and, and women would have to go to the court of chancery to, to fight this. And the rules were always stacked against them. It was a patriarchy, male-dominated, English-focused. Everything that, particularly if you, you're coming from the West Indies, you are a foreigner on English soil, you are subject to these rules. And so the widow's grace is meant to help all widows to regain their lives because you've already suffered this devastation of losing your husband somebody's got to be fighting for your corner. So the widow's grace is in effect. And the one of the members from A Duke, the Lady and the Baby is our lovely Jemina. Jemina St. Mar has amnesia. She only remembers the last two years of her life and they were spent in Bedlam because someone had put her there. And book two and her old girl and a toddler explains why. And Jemina has to decide what is more important, learning everything that there is to know about her past or this love that potentially could be hers. The hero of an Earl, the girl and a toddler is the barrister from book, from a Duke, the lady and the baby, Daniel Thackeray. Daniel Thackeray is a Blackamoor barrister. 
He's one of Prinny's favorites, so he's been elevated in the court because of this favor. But he's always walking on this tightrope because the Tawn is sometimes not as is, is not as accepting of biracial individuals. Can be feelings of why are you there, always having to prove yourself, etc. So Daniel's been walking on this this really tiny tightrope, trying to balance all these worlds, and now with his elevation, he's now thrust into the spotlight, which is something. He doesn't want unless he's in court where he feels natural and 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 uh, he's well-versed in these different things. And this wonderful woman, Jemina, knows that he knows more about her circumstances. So she won't let him be. And it'll be interesting to find out mm-hmm. in a, an Earl, the girl and a toddler exactly how that is. Because, you know, Daniel's hiding some secrets that will, could be exposed in Jemina's quest to learn everything about her past. Yeah. Upcoming, uh, July 6th, my first historical fiction religious, uh, Island Queen. I'm extremely excited about this story. It's six years in the making of doing research, of literally finding a cartoon that shows Prince William Henry, future King William IV, in the hammock with a black woman. Oh, wow. And as Adriana was talking about with the uh, with art, art tells you everything that there is of the times. And typically these cartoons are drawn when they have black women in them are very garish, you know, bulbous lips, big behinds, you, you, every kind of stereotypical thing you would think this is what this cartoon is. Doing. But this woman is drawn beautifully. So I wanted to know who this was because the cartoon wasn't trying to make fun of the woman. It was trying to tattle that this prince is having an affair with this beautiful black woman. Oh, wow. What's going on led me to Dorothy Kerwin Thomas, and her story is an island queen. So interesting. I'm excited about that. Um, yeah, I have, I've read the Rogues and Remarkable Women books, and they're both great. And, um, you know, one thing I do love about it and want to talk to, bo- to both of you about is there is so much research, clearly, that goes into doing this. And I do feel like I come away l- learning things. And I would love to hear from both of you, kind of how do you... I mean, number one, how do you approach doing research for these books? And this is a conversation I've seen on online some, so I'd love to hear both of you talk about it. But like, do you do you experience more pressure to demonstrate the research you're doing because people have this kind of whitewashed conception of history, especially European history? Um, I like I I know I've seen some of that take place, like on Twitter and other places. But I would be interested to hear from both of you how you approach it and what your experience with that has been. Well, I think uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because I think context, even experience, obviously matters a lot. Like I grew up in the Dominican Republic, right? Like I was born and raised in the capital, Santo Domingo. Santo Domingo is the first city of the Americas. It's the first place where Columbus made a township. So like I was literally born in like the first actual town that was a city. The first cathedral built in the Americas is where uh, is the city I was born. So I growing up in the Caribbean, especially a place in the Caribbean where like the African slave trade began in, in the island I was born. And so when you're born in a place like that, where like that is what the history is, like to me, it was never a question of whether people of color were in in history because in the Dominican Republic most people are either black or 
Afro descendant. Like there's a lot more of us that are mixed than there there are those of us that are white, and we're all Dominican first. So it's like a natural assumption that anyone that's in that island, no matter what color they are, they are somehow they're either Dominican or they're Haitian. Like there's no question of our belonging there. And I think coming to the U.S., I immigrated here when I was 23. I always say, and a lot of Dominicans say that, like I I realized I was black when I moved to the U.S. because it's a very different experience being a person walking in a body that's brown here than it was in the DR. And so I think to me, like my, where I'm, where I'm coming from is like, I'm not coming from a place where I feel like I have to prove we were there. Like, I know that it's just other people catching up to that fact. And so that's where I kind of start from more. Like I want to just celebrate and understand my own history a little better. The movement of my people, like, of course, like there were ships coming from and to Europe since literally the moment Columbus landed on, on the Americas. And there were people going to Europe and there were people coming from Europe. And that was like how the modern world, like what we know now as the Western world came from was from the wealth that was brought from the place where, where I was born. And so to me, it's just like a part of exploring those, that history and finding the things that I find particularly interesting. As Vanessa was saying, like finding those like photographs or those paintings or those drawings or those snippets from like a a periodical or something that has like a little piece of something that is interesting. Like with the World's Fair series, I I was going to Paris with my family and I was researching. I always research like Dominican stuff wherever I'm going. And so I was like kind of looking for, and I have, I have been to Paris before and I even lived there after high school, but I was particularly interested in looking for things related to the Dominican diaspora in Paris. And I found this newspaper article that talked about in 1889, the Dominican Republic owned a bunch of money to Belgium. And so like the Prince of Belgium, who was visiting the World's Fair, snubbed the Dominican pavilion, like gave us the cut direct and wouldn't go into our pavilion because our president owed him money. And I was like, wait, what? So then I kind of like fell down this rabbit hole and found like drawings and sketches of the pavilion and then found all this like information about all these other Latin countries that had attended the 1889 World's Fair. And so how I found it was like randomly was this gossip, basically like little gossip piece um, from like the Associated Press about the Belgian king had snubbed us. So all that to say is like, we're there, we're very present in history. Like, and for those of us who like have had a lived experience, we're like being brown and being very connected and tied to Europe. How the Europe that we now know it was built was from the wealth that came from us. Like that's a very clear understanding for me as a person that grew up in Santo Domingo, the first city of the Americas. Like I know that because it's like, it's everywhere around me in the city where I was born. So that to me is kind of my starting place. And then I do feel the pressure of like trying to show as much as I can, as much richness, as much of a complete story as I can, but mostly I'm doing it as a way to like 
plant roots for myself and a better understanding of like the women and my ancestors and things like that. But I try not to let myself get too bogged down of what historical accuracy police because yeah, I just think that comes from ignorance because if they knew the real history, then they wouldn't ask those silly questions. Yeah. Well, and I mean, how many attractive dukes were there really when? <laughs> right. And I mean, I, I, have, I have said this before and I will continue saying it. Whenever anyone asks me if this black woman could have been doing this in this time of history, I'm going to always ask, can you please give me the list of real life governesses that became duchesses? And as soon as you give me that list, I will stop writing black women in history, in historical romance. Right. And Adriana is correct. It's actually harder to tr- to marry across classes than it is across races. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah. So the every Duke housekeeper romance is more far fetched than it is for a Duke and a Blackamoor, Duke and a Latin, mm-hmm. Duke and and someone else. As long as if particularly if they're an heiress, if they're an heiress and they have money, money trumps race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that has been shown time and time again throughout history. I come from a little different place than Adriana. One of the things when, you know, from the very first book that I showcased a woman of color marrying a peer and he was he was a baron, okay? Mm-hmm. He wasn't even up the, up the food chain. He was a baron and got all kind of blowback. Not possible. Some of the, mm-hmm. you know, just People completely ignorant, uh, you know, we're not there, you know, it was all white people, blah, 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 all these crazy things. And Beverly Jenkins actually took me aside and she was like, you need to put a more detailed author's note in the back because we were, we're still fighting that, that battle of the whitewashing, the disinformation, and even sometimes a fragileness that somehow these ideas ruin everything because everyone now can be a part of it. And so you're fighting against that. So I I now put a detailed author's note in my historical romances. um, I love your authors. Just to show you. (laughs) They're great. Just to show you, uh, where where am I getting this from? Mm -hmm. Fighting some myths. So, you know, once again, I say you come for the love story. You're going to maybe leave with a little bit more education. You're going to see the world a little differently when you you look at a Vanessa Riley. But it's good to hear now that I think that war is being won. People now understand that history is diverse, that it's not all enslavement, that it's not all backward poverty looking for a white knight to save them. No, sometimes we're the knight. Sometimes we're on the horse and we're saving people. History has shown that the victor changes in every season. And there are seasons where women of color, black women have have excelled. And so I think the more stories out there that show and normalize that these happy ever afters, uh, I think is just so much more healthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were only 28 Dukes and I can attest that only two of them were hot. <laughs> <laughs> there are 10,000 books, 10,000 books with Duke. Oh, yeah. And they all apparently are hot in those 10,000 mm-hmm. books. I haven't read all 10,000. but So I figure if I just find one incident in history of a woman of color doing something fabulous, that equals 300 books. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yep. 
That's good math. I like that math, Vanessa. I'm going to like keep that in mind. I'm like, yep. this one, I can make at least two dozen things out of this one thing. Yeah. No, no, no. 300. <laughs> you just pay, change names for the innocent, you know, but you could get 300 out of it. I love that. Because, and it's also, they're the stories we don't know. The, you know, remember, the patriarchy has always documented their history. Mm. So you, we know their stories. And once again, to only see 28 mm-hmm. means there was only 28 because they will document. They've got secretaries. They've got diaries, writs in, in parliament. These are documented. Mm-hmm. Our stories are not as well documented. We have to hunt and trace and find and piece together because it's... It's almost like no one wants to see that. Everybody wants to have a downtrodden, looking for a savior version of diversity in Mm. the world. And we need power stories, particularly power women stories of, of, of women who loved and lived boldly to, to claim what they wanted. Yeah. And kind of jumping off from that, what would you say is, you know, people are asking, like, why is this important? Like, why do we need to see racial or sexual diversity in historical romance to see those happily ever afters and that joy? I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but but what would you say to people who ask that? I feel like one of the things that to me is, is it is, is as Vanessa, like just the normalization, just like the reframing that like we've just haven't had a full picture of history like just like making that be what is the truth what we all got in school the way that education has been has been a narrative that has been to benefit a specific section of people in the world and there's a whole other history that we never learned so like that part of it is important because i think it's it's the goal right for us to have a better understanding of how our world has been And I also think, I think for romance specifically, I think one of the really powerful things about romance, and I think romance about and by people with a lived experience that has had marginalization and oppression, it's a real safe way to be able to connect and have and build empathy because, I mean... A romance is something that you know there's going to be happily ever after. Like, you know, no matter what they go through, at the end of the day, the promise is that we will give these people a happily ever after. And I think for the reader who perhaps doesn't have that sense of history, who perhaps hasn't really ever thought about what it could have been like to be a woman from the West Indies in the Regency era, trying to like, live her life, have a child, her child be safe and okay. The romance gives you the opportunity to be able to like sink into that story and sink into that experience and knowing it's going to all be okay in the end. And I think for romance specifically, we have that superpower of giving people that sense of security that they can go into our stories and feel okay because everything's going to work out in the end. And historical romance that has those narratives, those like pockets of history that just haven't had a light shown on them is is good for us to be able to see ourselves in those stories, of course, but I think it's good for other people so that they have, like their world just becomes a little bigger. Like we're expanding their universe mm. in a way that I think is really important and I think really builds empathy. Yeah. 
Absolutely. You know, my father is from Trinidad and Tobago. And I would say my love of history comes from him. My love of literature comes from my mother. <laughs> but my love of history comes from him because his history was so different. Listening to his stories was just so different because the perspective was so different. Trinidad was, uh, you know, is, is another one of the islands in the West Indies under the rule of, of, of Britain, enslavements, you know, there's all these different things. But as you look from their perspective, you get a different perspective of the Revolutionary War. You get a different perspective of the transatlantic commerce. I mean, it's just, it's just so different. We need to see these different perspectives. Romance is safe. I've even met people of color who don't want to look at history because they own, they've bought into this line that it's all oppression, it's all enslavement, mm-hmm. it's all cruelty, and they forget the fact that they're here. So something must have happened. Somebody must have lived. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you know, fell in love, had children because we're here. You know, love always finds a way to survive. And if we can normalize the narrative of the inclusivity of history, that people were pragmatic enough to figure out how to live, pragmatic, you know, and lucky enough to figure out how to thrive and survive, I think that will open up the world because there's almost like been a gatekeeping of suppression of these stories. And the more stories that are out there, the more stories that make it into mainstream, the more somebody else can dream and think about the world in a different way. And I I truly believe romance lets people think about the world differently because it's safe. Uh, You know there's going to be a happy ever after at the end. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when people are the most changeable in the way they, they look at life. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because I think what, what you you do, Vanessa and Adriana, I know for you, like a lot of your stuff is more contemporary, but it's shifting. So you can talk about the books you've been, you're, you're writing, but, you know, writing a romance, how do you tackle dealing with more serious issues, like how the gentry gained their wealth, for instance, and then balancing that with the lighter tone of a romance where, where you're able to address some of these more serious things, but in a, in a way that isn't about trauma. I think Earl and a Girl may be my 23rd oh, wow. book. Okay. However, A Duke, the Lady, the Baby was only the, was my first book in stores, was my first book on the shelf. So it's almost like you have to move slowly through this career and then all of a sudden things start taking off. You know, for the most part, uh, and Essie, my editor, and we talk about it, A Duke, the Lady, and the Baby in 2018 slash 2019 was controversial. Mm-hmm because of the positioning of the heroines from West, from the West Indies coming in as heiresses, interfacing, marrying the aristocracy, uh, and being on the shelf in mm. a bookstore. Now, on the shelf in a bookstore in a pandemic is kind of, <laughs> kind of like a, another, <laughs> another version of, well, okay. But the success of the book has really just opened up the landscape of... I hope more freedom for people to be able to tell their stories. Harder issues of colonialization, you know, it's it's kind of the third rail. All of the wealth for every four dollar, for every one dollar of just normal commerce activity for mm-hmm. Europe, four dollars came from the sugar wow. and slave trade. 
So think about mm-hmm. that. That is why when you look at Jane Austen, a number of her books there, you know, there she shows her uncle or she shows people in the books, which at matter of fact, were like relatives, but <laughs> worried about their Antigua mm-hmm. holdings because that's where a lot of that money was coming from to, so that they could be in England living their best lives was because they were gaining all this income from enslavement, the sugar trades uh, throughout the West Indies. So in An Earl, The Girl and a Toddler was one of the first books where I put it all out there on the line. We examine the enslavement within the West Indies, particularly Jamaica, racial imbalances, and how that affects the wealth that goes to England. Now, did I give you a summary detail of what I just said in a clinical uh, report? No. I masked it in circumstances. I infused it in some of the off-color humor. And then as just the fellas sitting around talking about women that they are in their lives, because women during that time frame, women of color were not just property. They were also abused by the patriarchy in ways, in more so in more ways because of the sexual nature of some of enslavement. So they are, you know, I have, I have a group of black more black men sitting around at, at a card table and they're having conversations and they touch upon different aspects. Now that sounds like it could be a really heavy thing, but you, you're, you know, men sitting around drinking, playing 21 or the card game. <laughs> adds a little levity to the situation and you've got a whole bunch of other things going through. But I think that's one of the messages that is, is able to resonate. You get a bit of the complexity of all of the dynamics that are going on with colonization, because every time you have a peer, more than likely, if you trace their lineage, that money is coming from holdings in the West Indies or in Mm -hmm. India where they have enslaved people point blank or in Africa. That's where the money's coming from. That's the way the world worked back then. And we often gloss over it because we like thinking of the dukes and the earls and, and whatnot because it sounds pretty and fun. And But if, when you go and you dig deeper, there are these levels. And so it is difficult to address. Not going to, to blow smoke here. Um, it's difficult to address because this is a romance. It's got to have these elements uh, in it to make it engaging. So it, it's a, it's a fine mm-hmm. balance. We're not doing an educational tome. We're not trying to make people feel guilty reading these particular passages. But what we do want to achieve, at least, and I'm, I hopefully you don't mind me speaking for you, Adriana, but what we're trying to is just level set. This is how the world worked. Mm-hmm. This is simply how the world worked. And these are how our characters navigated that world to get to their happy ever after. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, and again, it's going back again to that lived experience. Like my starting place is the Caribbean because that's my home. And so to me, it's like when I'm reading historical romance, one of the things that eventually I think even pulled me out of romance for a little bit was that I got so tired of seeing Colon, the word colonies or the West Indies just as throwaway phrases mm. in in historical romances when I was like reading them as a teenager and then like as an like a young adult because 
that was me. Like I was there. <laughs> like I was literally like that <laughs> little speck of a thing that people mentioned as, and like, you know, our wealth, like just like flowing out and like our lifeblood flowing out of, of, of this little, these little islands in the middle of the Caribbean sea Mm-hmm. you know, generating all this wealth that people just like got to like experience sitting on in castles and whatever in palaces. So to me, like, that's kind of like some of like the places where the friction is for me as a romance, when I was a romance reader. And so as a writer, how do I kind of touch on the source, on those source spots that were source spots for me and generally as a person of color who understands how history actually took place and make them something that I can explore and like translate into a romance that people can enjoy and feel connected to and all of those things that Vanessa just said. But like, it's, it's really not, not shying away from the reality. So for this book that I'm writing, the first one in the, in the Leona's book is called A Caribbean Heiress's Guide to Paris. The the era, I mean, and, and again, like I don't even touch anything between, before 1837 because like I'm not like at that level yet. Like when I'm more of a veteran like Vanessa, I'll go to the region. <laughs> but I, I just, <laughs> I'm fearful. <laughs> so, um... So my my story is set in 1889, and my heiress is a Dominican woman. She's Dominican Scottish. Her father came from Scotland, you know, after ab- like abolition, and he had this like idea that he was just gonna like help people <laughs> because he was wealthy and had like all this guilt. And so like I tried to explore a little bit like white saviorism and like a lot of the things that like his his father was a, her father was a good man, but he also made some missteps and how he entered the Caribbean without not knowing a lot about what he was going into, right? Or the the landscape and the terrain. Mm-hmm. And and also, but this is also like years later. So it's her, her father's passed away. She has this rum distillery that her, mo- her mother's family started after abolition. So it's a point of pride for them that this was a, a distillery that was founded and worked on by only people who were free. Like no one that was ever enslaved has like worked and made this this rum. I try to kind of like look back at not just what that means for someone like 50 years after the abolition of slavery in the Dominican Republic. In the Dominican Republic, um, slavery was fully abolished in completely in 1844, but since 1801, when kind of Haiti and the DR were one thing. So mm-hmm. slavery was also abolished for about 20 years then. So on and off, slavery has had been abolished in the Dominican Republic around the same time where it was abolished in Haiti, which was like 1804. And there was, there's a lot of history with the Dominican Republic and Haiti. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to get into it. But again, it's like thinking about... All it's like a generation and a half already of of no slavery in in that island, but yet the the wealth, the distribution of wealth, and the place of women, and all of the things that were still being kind of like that were still like very present for a woman like my heroine who's biracial, but also thinking to about like it was 
it was a modern time. So like any other wealthy woman in the world, she's thinking about her own liberation and what that means. And then she meets this guy who's a whiskey distiller and he's like the son of a duke and like all kinds of shenanigans ensue in Paris. <laughs> but um, he's, he's very conflicted about the legacy of his family, how his family gained their wealth. And he's trying to like be as separate from that as he can. But the reality is that you can't just leave the aristocracy. Even though he, he's making his own money with his distillery, how did he how was he able to be in a position to even like generate that wealth? It's all tied to his position in the world. So mm-hmm. I think like anything, we can explore all those things that are still realities now, like in an interracial relationship, like I'm married to a white man and that means that our worldviews and a lot of things are different because we walk in bodies that are very different and our, our proximity to power and wealth <laughs> are very different. So those are the things that I also tried to kind of like keep in mind because I think we are like kind of like unveiling all of this like really complicated history but at the end of it like a lot of those themes and power dynamic sore spots are still like very relevant and I think that's what like really good historical romance does that it really is able to pull you in with those really complicated pieces of falling in love and like interpersonal relationships and all the things that two different people bring to a relationship and I think being able to like pull from that allows us to like say the hard things but keep the focus on the romance mm-hmm. yeah I think it's so valuable what both of you are doing because I know I have friends who rarely read historical romance for kind of Adriana what you're talking about for that reason that they just feel uncomfortable with the way things have been been handled and so I think I think for ev- for everybody it's it's important to have have this out there and so thinking about publishing in general, I'm, I'm curious with romance publishing, are you, do you feel like you're seeing changes in what is getting published? Are, do people seem to be more open to hearing different stories? Are they doing better? Are there things you'd like to see more of or places that still need change or growth? Everything needs change. Of course. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the world has changed in publishing, mm. at least from, from my perspective. And it's, you know, even, like I said, 2018, a story like A Duke, The Lady and the Baby with West Indian her- heiresses was controversial. Mm. It was it was not what everybody else was doing. Kensington took risks and it, and it paid mm. off. So, you know, we're only in 2021, mm. <laughs> you know. It's, it's, it's right now, for the most part, Adriana and I were like one of the few writing historical romances, focusing with leads of people of color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From, from, uh, that's not U.S. centric. Right. Because when you look in the U.S., we've got Beverly Jenkins, Mm -hmm. we've got Pyre Hughley. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, Kiana Alexander. We have Lena Hart. There's uh, Alyssa Cole. Yeah. They they've been handling that the 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 U.S. side for a you know for a long time and and doing wonderful work. Mm-hmm. 
But that third rail of the rest of the world mm -hmm. hasn't really been touched as much. Yeah. Uh, you get Courtney Milan doing some, some great work mm -hmm. uh, early on. But once again, if I can name the numbers on one hand, that's not enough people writing these Absolutely. stories. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, again, like, as, as Cyclist Vanessa said, like, when even I, I have my debut came out in 2019. And when I began thinking about seriously querying, it wasn't even six, seven years ago when I was like, I'm ready to query. Like I wouldn't have dreamed of going into query with a historical romance, with a Afro-Dominican heroine, like traipsing around Paris, <laughs> like living her best life. Like mm -hmm. I, I couldn't have done it. Like there was literally nothing I could have been looked to. Mm -hmm. to come to say like see this worked mm -hmm. um so and then like now not that long later there are comps like Vanessa has books that I can point to and say there are books historical <laughs> romance with black women in yeah. Europe yeah and and mm -hmm. that is just a matter of the last few years so and it which means that we're off to a good start and <laughs> yes and we and like liana de la rosa who is mexican-american announced last month that she's doing a a victorian set series with three mexican sisters oh, in set in london it's a good start right but then there's like i mean latin america only latin america has 34 countries yeah and all of those countries have extremely like strong ties to Europe. Like it was back and forth, back and forth for us for 400 years. Mm -hmm. So there's 400 years of movement between our part of the world and Europe that is essentially not in historical romance. Mm -hmm. And like Mexico down, right? Yeah. So um, just think about that. That's all that there's still to do and see and enjoy in, in romance um, that, that we have to look forward to. Yeah. And, and still, we have many countries in the West Indies that are still in the Commonwealth. Yeah. Mm. Now, how did they get into the Commonwealth of the UK? Yeah. Because they were colonies mm -hmm. at some point in history. So there are deep ties mm -hmm. within the West Indies, within Latin America that have not been touched. Mm -hmm. And the point we know when, when Adrian and I can count without including ourselves <laughs> on one or two hands, more writers writing these types of stories, then we'll know that the, the change really took hold and that we're continuing to move mm -hmm. forward. But right now I say it's a great start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because you wouldn't have seen these books unless you went on indie catalogs as much as five years ago. Yeah. And it, it is wild to me that it's taken this long for it to get published. But I do hope we see more. I get excited every time I, you know, hear that there's something else coming out because, you know, I I love historical romance, but I see the, the issues that are frequently with it. And I, I would love to see more more authors writing from all of these different backgrounds and perspectives. I think we need it. So yeah, you guys are breaking ground and hopefully many authors will come behind you. I hope so. Cause we can't write them all. No, <laughs> we can only do a little bit. Yeah. 
Maybe more. Everybody should do it. Um, and and I think you know I'm seeing more. I, I think in all in a lot of different places in publishing in general, like I'm I'm seeing so much more diversity in in science fiction and fantasy and YA. There's just more voices, and I hope that just continues to grow. It would be great. Yeah. And, and I think like like Adria said, this is a this is a great shift. I feel the shift. Hmm. If it took racial reckoning last year to help to help push it mm-hmm. at least that's one of the one of the good things that we can look of how time and cha- change are finally catching up time is moving forward yeah um yeah yeah and one thing that i think about a lot even i was thinking about that last year i think one of the things that white supremacy has done or like colonialism and imperialism has done it's that it's very isolating like specifically, I think for Afro African diaspora, like we feel like we're like in our little spot, like we're the only ones that have been having this kind of experience when the African diaspora and that history is so big and vast. And I think for us um, to be able to read all those different experiences and like see those threads and those connections, I think it's like healing, honestly, for like even reading Vanessa's books. I remember reading um, the the baby book from last year and thinking how familiar that was to me to someone who grew up in the Caribbean and thinking it's beautiful to know like those threads that are there for us that were brought because the, our ancestors all come, came from the same place, even though our colonizers didn't. But like that, ans- that African ancestry is like so deeply, so deeply ties us. And I think in particular, that piece to me is, I think, something that's really important. Like, I think necessary for us to, to know that we're like part of this huge tapestry. And that's something that I don't think we've had a chance to see. And it would be really great if we would be able to in romance. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and and I'm like, my current work that I'm working on now is my second historical fiction and it's Sister Mother Warrior. It's specifically on, on Santa Domingo. So it's on Haiti and the, the, the entire island and how connected the, the connectedness of all parts of that island, mm. the, the revolutions and how it evolved and whatnot. And you just... You know, I just come off of this research that I'd done for Island Queen, and you see so many similarities. And it's because the African enslavement touched every facet of the islands. And even though every island is different, and that's the other thing I want everybody to know, every island is different. It's not all palm trees, although there are a lot of palm trees. There are. It's every island is different. Every culture is different within the West Indies. We're not a monolith. Same thing within Latin yes. America. So when people can pick that out and know the differences, then we know we've done our job. Mm. Yeah. 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 And, and that, that like, it's like the differences and like the beauty of the similarities and then like also like the, the richness of the differences and to like, it's the thing, like if you're from the Caribbean, like I can hear someone speak in English or Spanish and I know exactly where they're from because all those accents are things that I grew up with. But like here, we're just like West Indies or Caribbean. Like we're all lumped into this like one big bat of things. And it'd be nice when 
like there's more understanding of that as you say i'm really really interested in in reading your next book um the historical fiction book vanessa that sounds amazing yes yeah. i think i think somebody may get an arc please send it <laughs> awesome so and one other thing before we, I know we've been, we've been talking a while, so we'll wrap things up here, but looking forward, what are the stories that you're interested in telling or excited to tell or would, or like, even if there's a, a wish list of like things you would like to write in the future? You want to start, Vanessa? I have a couple. Um, <laughs> I'm writing everything that I want to write at this moment. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's, I, I haven't, well, the, I haven't done a Duke. Well, no, I have. Never mind. I've done it all. So um, uh, right now, it's just it's just normalization. Uh, put out as many stories as possible. So seeing more and more series, uh, delving more into the, that great tension of the the ton, the period class with the middle class with transatlantic patterns of migrations just you know all that sounds real technical and stuff but just more stories of mm -hmm. west indian women west indian men um blackamore men blackamore women in in ireland scotland uh uk just more stories mm -hmm. more beautiful stories of what was going on yeah i mean i i think for me i i want to i want to write pirates <laughs> um <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and I want to write pirates because, again, thinking about liminal spaces, I think that that time, like the golden age of the pirates, like people think about the privateers, but like, mm -hmm. you know, like the Sam Bellamy's or the Blackbeard's. But, you know, if you were a pirate, you could not be a slave. Mm. Like, and ships were their own democracies. And some of the, there were many captains who were Black men and women and I think it's just a fascinating like little bit of time in the Caribbean where there was like a, a lot of justice being done and like I love a rogue I love a vigilante so um and and just the idea that ships were their own democracies where they're like most of the crew were black black men and like each person got a vote and I just like really want to do something like super queer oh, and super please do that. Yeah, exciting. Do, it. do that. And please so do that. that's what I want. I want to do something very gay, very black in the Caribbean with pirates. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yes. That's good. That's a that's a home run right there, girl. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I I know you maybe briefly touched on a couple things, but are there any new or upcoming books or voices in this space that you're excited about that you kind of see coming moving forward? Well, I am excited about that Liana de la Rosa um, series that just got announced. Yeah. Um, because Liana has been writing historical romance for, for a minute and she's wa been wanting to write about her her culture, which is Mexican. So I am excited, especially because she's writing about like, like Mexico and when they like had that second empire, which was a really fascinating mm -hmm. time in Latin America and Mexico in particular. Mm -hmm. So that is something that I'm really um, excited about reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, Amelie Howard has a YA yes. series. <laughs> that's going to be coming out probably next year. Um, but it's um, 
and I'm trying to get to see if it might be mixing up the stories, but I think it's not Avengers. They may be solving a mystery or whatnot, but it's uh, they're Caribbean heiresses and mm-hmm. yeah, but from you know teenagers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that's going to be fascinating. Oh, fun! Yes, um, I think it's like kind of monocourse of a gender swap. Like fun. I think it's something like, like it's kind of like a revenge story. Like I'm gonna say, that one sounds real good. Awesome. Yes, that sounds great. But once again, when we can, str- we struggle yeah. to name names yeah. that says our work's not done yeah. and mm-hmm. more needs to be published. Yes. So if anybody listening has a story they've been wanting to write, now might be a great time to work on it. <laughs> we need to see more of it. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. This was really great and really interesting. Um, thank you for having yeah, us. We- this was really great. Yeah. This was fun. And once again, Pleasure to meet you, Adriana. Same. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we can make that happen. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and I'm your host, Bethany. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you would go rate and review the podcast so we can reach more listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at Chapter 3 Podcast, and you can now listen to episodes on our YouTube channel as well if you want to do it that way. The next episode will be available in two weeks, and this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening. <laughs>